Good morning, Spring House. <laughs> Boy, it's a good day. Would you look at somebody near you and say, I want to love you better? <laughs> and respond with amen. Amen. I love you better. Well, before we, uh, I got a couple of things before we jump in this morning. Um, first thing is, uh, I went and visited Mary Sue Bennett yesterday in the ER. She's got some problems with her, her leg right now that are getting better, uh, but I told her we would pray for her, and I know she's watching right now. So would you guys uh, extend your hand? It's actually back that way, but just lift it up. <laughs> Father, I thank you right now for Mary Sue Bennett. I pray, Lord, that you would touch her body and heal her in Jesus' name. I pray, Lord, that you would give her a special grace with all the nurses and doctors there right now. And, uh, Lord, that you would cover her. Amen. 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 We love you, Mary Sue. Do we not? Yes. Amen. Well, uh, it's been it's been a minute uh, since we've been in this uh, in this setting and this reg and this uh, 9 a.m. and 10:30 uh, cycle. I haven't had a, a proper opportunity to thank those who uh, really were the background and did the heavy lifting for the conference and mounting Easter behind the scenes with the skit guys and of course the outdoor worship service and the baptisms last week. Uh, could we just show our appreciation? For for all the team that worked behind the scenes, for all of those. Those things don't just come together. There's people behind the scenes working on all of that. So uh, uh, just so appreciate you. I've been really blessed by the things that we've uh, walked through over the last few weeks. Um, and I'm excited for us to get back into a rhythm uh, as well. Uh, if you're here and you're new today or you have been uh, with us over the last uh, three to six months, uh, of course, you know there's a newcomer's lunch today. So we invite you to be a part of that. That will be over in the new fellowship hall. Uh, we're going to exit today right out this door where the exit is. Is, and we're going to go across the hall, uh, across the grass right there into that door because the children's hallway is secure going down that way. And of course, we're going to be making some modifications out there soon to make that a more uh, easier transition. But we, I wanted to give you some direction about that. Um, on Thursday night, we're going to start back our midweek gathering. I'll be doing a five-week series on Psalm 23. And so uh, I'd like to invite you to be a part of that. If your schedule uh, allows you to have the capacity to be here uh, Thursday nights, have been really, really rich, and um, I'd like you to be a part of that. So that will be starting this Thursday. For the next five Thursdays, we'll be doing Psalm 23. JBQ will be meeting, uh, and they went to the turn to the uh, meet yesterday, and they made it to nationals. And so they will be traveling to. Indiana uh, in June to compete, and so just proud of our kids learning the Word of God. Amen. Uh, last night, I saw an incredible show, uh, and uh, so I would like to personally invite you to come and see next, uh, this coming Friday night and Saturday matinee, your last two opportunities to see the show, and guys, it is, it's great. It's really, really, really great. You won't regret doing that, I, and I, I have a feeling they'll probably get close to selling out, so, so you'll want to secure your tickets 
early. Uh, and then lastly, next week, we're going to jump into uh, back into our series, Kingdom Seekers, uh, where we've been exploring the book of Matthew. And so if you want to um, get prepared, uh, I would encourage you to read uh, Matthew chapters 5 through 8. That will get you in a, uh, in a space to begin being prepared for us jumping back into that series. Okay, everybody good? We got all of that out of the way. Uh, today, uh, last day of, uh, last Sunday of April, uh, today we're going to talk about a uh, healthy church and so, uh, and how the church should look. So if you'll stand with me, we're going to read from the book of Ephesians chapter 4. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ." Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ." From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Father, I thank you for your amazing, fascinating, supernatural word. I thank you, Lord, that it is alive and active. I pray that it would touch our hearts and change us for eternity today, God, and let everything that is nonsense from me be forgotten, Lord, but anything you have for us, Lord, let it remain. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, you may be seated. <clears throat> so today we're, um, we're going to talk about the church. Not necessarily, we are going to be talking about Springhouse Church, uh, but we're also going to be talking about the church at, at large. And, um, and uh, I want to challenge us today uh, as, we, um, as we navigate through uh, Ephesians and I share what I feel like the Lord's given us. I want us to evaluate the question um, what is our why? More, uh, more clearly, who is our why? Who is our why? Um, the church. The church is not the building. It's the people. I know you've heard that before. Many of you have heard that before. Uh, but the, American, uh, the, the Americanization of the church has uh, succumbed to this idea that the church is an hour, an hour and a half on a Sunday rotation, week by week, and we get together and we come and we sing songs, we hear, uh, we hear the word and we go home. Uh, and we have greatly reduced the importance of 
the church, uh, the, the importance of, of the church. And, and also, we have clearly, in a lot of ways, redefined what the church is. The church is not the building. This facility is a very nice facility. We are, we are super blessed to have the things that we have uh, at this church. And a lot of the things that we have, the lights, the projector, the instruments, the cameras, all of that stuff, it's because the Lord has provided for us and said, go and get that. Go and do that. Uh, and we've been able to utilize those things to, uh, to, to advance his kingdom, to spread the gospel. None of those things were purchased so that we can become bigger and better and greater. They are tools that are at our disposal to be able to acknowledge the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you know that the gospel of Jesus Christ is good news? And we in the church, we have good news to give a dying world. But the good news, let us not forget, is not just for a dying world. The good news is for us too. The good news is for us too. In the early church, in the early church, there were some characteristics that we saw that happened over and over and over and over again. In the early church, when when they met in homes, we would see that their faith produced obedience, that their devotion gave way to unity, that their desperation for Jesus drove them to prayer, that their experience with the, the Spirit was one met with power, and that the authenticity of their love laid the foundation and the groundwork for salvation. We see all of these things when we read through scripture about the early church. We see all of these things in operation at full, uh, on full throttle because the people in the early church met together all the time. They knew each other. They did life together. They broke bread together. And they did not reduce nor forsake the coming together to one hour a week where we sing some songs and we hear a message. This facility here on Old Nashville Highway is the place where we gather together as the church. And I might be sharing with you a bit of an epiphany this morning. And if it is, praise God. We actually do not gather here on Sunday mornings for any of us. The, the, the reason that we're gathered here in this fashion for this hour that we're together it's for us to exalt Jesus Christ together as a church family. And may I echo what both Bar practically both Barbie, Pastor Barbie and Pastor Ronnie spoke in communion. We are here to remember what he did for us, what Jesus Christ did for us. And, and if you're anything like me, if your life is messed up like mine, I need that reminder way more than once a week. But boy, to come together with believers and understand that Jesus paid the ultimate price for my messed up life. But more importantly, guys, what a reminder that I have a relationship with him, that he's for me and not against me, that I can come to him boldly before the throne of grace because of what Jesus Christ did. The church should be a remarkable reminder of who we are in Christ and who we belong to. We belong to the God who breathes stars. He is a great God. He is a great God. And when we read in Acts chapter 2, this is what we find when it comes to the fellowship or the gathering of the believers. It says this, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. 
Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold their property and possessions to give to anyone who had a need. Every day, would you say every day? Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. When we look at the characteristics of the early church, what we realize, friends, is that the church being the people, the reason these characteristics were in operation and full throttle was because the church, the people, were gathered together daily. They did life together daily. It wasn't an event it wasn't a calendar item. It wasn't something specially set aside on the calendar, but it was just waking up and doing life with each other. We have a huge misconception that Sunday morning fulfills check the requirement of church. And unfortunately, when we adopt that philosophy, that line of thinking, that our church experience on Sunday morning is what it's reduced to, then might I suggest that it becomes more about us than it does about him? Might I suggest that it becomes more about us than it does about him? These things should all be in operation in our church through us as people all the time. Our faith should lead to obedience, our devotion to a sense of unity. Guys, when is the last time you've been desperate for Jesus and prayed? We should be experiencing the Holy Spirit and his power in our lives. And our love for one another should be so authentic that it lays the framework for salvation. So the question, the question that we might have is, well, A, do we see these happening full throttle in, in our lives, in our church? And if not, why not? Why not? And might I suggest that their primary motivation for the brothers and sisters in the early church to get together, the primary motivation for them to gather the way that they did, to get together, to do life together, their primary motivation was nothing less, nothing more than Jesus. Than Jesus. It wasn't so that I can see people I haven't seen in six days. It wasn't so that I could get a high five or, or they could get a high five. It wasn't, it wasn't so that you could acknowledge me because I don't get seen throughout the week and I'm insecure and I need you to say, hey, how you doing? And if you don't, I'm going to be offended. It wasn't so that I could get a really bad cup of coffee and come sit in the back. Coffee here is good, right? No, the motivation to be together with people was nothing more, nothing less than Jesus Christ. Church, can I ask you, who is your why? Who is your why? Have we, and I don't mean we at Springhouse, but I do mean we at Springhouse, we as a church at large, have we reduced our time together? Have we reduced church to a social experiment or social event? 
that we do once a week so that we can feel good and go back into the world because we have some friends. Fake friends at that because you don't know people in an hour. Or is our primary motivation to do life together the truth that Jesus Christ has rescued me out of the muck and mire and set me on my way? What was unlovable has become lovable and what was unrighteous is is now righteous not because of what we've done but because of him. And he so wonderfully, joyfully paid the price so that we could be sons and daughters of the king. That should be a motivation within itself to wake up with a cry of hallelujah on our lips every single day, every single day. And if the good news is truly the good news and the good news has really impacted your life, it should be something that you want other people to experience as well. It should be something that you're like, I've got something going on in my life that you've got to have. Jesus is the answer. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And we have been given the message of the gospel to convey to one another. And we gather here on Sunday morning so that we can celebrate this king, so that we can celebrate this king. Their motivation was Jesus. Their focus was Jesus. Their why was Jesus. Unfortunately, we have succumbed to a culture that takes Jesus and adds to it because Jesus just simply isn't enough. He's simply not enough. I was telling Pastor Ronnie a few weeks ago that being a pastor of a church has been the most challenging role in my life, not because of the people or the situations or any of that stuff. The reason being a pastor is the most challenging position I've ever had in my life is because I'm constantly faced with my inadequacy. And I'm constantly, though, reminded of the sufficiency of his grace, the sufficiency of his grace. He is so, so good He is so, so good. And when we lean in on him in our times of weakness, he is always pulling through very strong, very, very strong. He is so good like that. And so in a letter written to the church of uh, uh, of Ephesus in the book of Revelation, which we just read from the book of Ephesians, which Paul wrote a letter, wrote that letter to Ephesus. There's another letter written to Ephesus in the book of Revelation chapter two. It says this. I have this against you that you have left your first love. Church, who's your first love? Really? And if your first love rattles off your lips, Jesus, which I hope it does, does your life model what your lips are saying? Is Jesus your first love over your spouse? Is he your first love over your kids? Is he first, your first love over your work environment, the things that you do, your hobbies, your reputation? Is Jesus your first love over your ministry, your notoriety, your fame, your prestige, your recognition, your appreciation? 
Is Jesus your first love over all of those things where everything in your life takes a backseat and surrenders and bows down to the king of the universe? Who is your first love? Who is your why? Who is your why? And because the Christians in the early church couldn't seem to get their stuff together, God saw fit to raise up a guy who was killing the Christians, convert them so he could write a letter to tell the Christians how to do the church. Okay? And his name was Saul, converted to Paul, right? And Paul, isn't that extraordinary that God would take a person who persecutes him and change it around and use him to be one of the most influential characters in the kingdom. It's, it's, it's mind-boggling. God can do things like that. He does supernatural, extraordinary things all the time. He's a big God. But he uses Paul. He uses Paul, and Paul writes these remarkable letters to the church. He writes these letters, and I'm, I'm amazed. I'm fascinated at the consistency of Paul pointing the church to Christ. Pointing the church to Christ. The first thing Paul says in uh, this letter to the Ephesians, and we're, the framework and the reason we're using Ephesians is because of this idea, have we, have we forgotten our first love? He says this, live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Are you guys living your life in a way that lines up with the calling that you've received. Well, the first question that that might make you think is, am I called? And can I just answer that for you today? Can I just lay to rest? Everyone in the room is called. Congratulations. You have been called (laughs) by God, okay? Uh, You are called. The question is, are you living a life worthy of the call? Maybe you say to yourself, well, okay, I hear you say I'm called, but what am I called to? Well, you might not know that if you're not living the life. Because your first and foremost calling is to him. You chase after Jesus Christ. You make him a priority. Your calling will become crystal clear, become crystal clear. Because those who chase the calling and not the one who calls are chasing the wrong thing. It's all about him. That's central to today's message, is it not? It's all about Jesus Church is not the place, guys, that we show up once a week to be good. This is my good hour. I'm going to dress nice. I'm going to be kind to people. I'm going to smile. Okay, this is my good hour. But boy, come three o'clock today when that person drives in front of me on the road, right? Okay, when I have to wait too long in a line, you know, when I go back on TV or the internet, especially that social media, I cannot wait to get going. Everything goes out the window, but I'm going to be good at church because they expect me to do that. What if we, what if we became not fake? That's an idea. What do, you, what do you think about that? What if, what if we actually, excuse me, were real? I said I was preaching out here because I wanted to spit in the front row. That's just me being real. But, but guys, what if, what if we, and, and please, please know, if you get convicted by me saying we as referring to the church, you probably need to change something. But I'm, I'm really saying we as the church at large, okay? Uh, because here's the thing, I'm not afraid to say, Springhouse is not the church for everybody, but everybody belongs in church. 
everybody belongs in church, okay? And, and the reason that we gather is, is for Jesus, but, but we don't meet here to be good for an hour and then go and live our lives. That's not the purpose of us being here. There are, I'm gonna tell you right now, there are, I, am, I am the most messed up person in the room, okay? There are things that I want to do that I can't do because I'm trying to live a life worthy of the calling. I'm trying, there are things that I want to say. I do, I so want to say them. <laughs> but I can't say them because I'm trying to live my life worthy of the calling that I've received. So I surrender my opinions, my ideas, what I want to do, because he's better than all of those things. He's better than all of those things. We are often much more interested in living a life that will bring about achievement and recognition and a reward than willingly surrendering and serving with excellence just because he is who he says he is. And that's what we are called to do. He continues and said that we must be humble and patient, bearing with one another in love. Do you know I cannot be, guys, I cannot be humble without Jesus. I can't be patient without Jesus. And I'm gonna tell you around, I certainly cannot love some of you without Jesus. <laughs> and I'm sure some of you can't love me without Jesus too. We need him. He's our foundation. And in doing that, we make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. We make every effort. Do you know what that tells me? The word effort tells me that there's something that I'm supposed to do. Effort requires work. It requires something out of me. It means I've got a part to play in this. It means that I can't just sit back and fold my arms and just be angry and upset and frustrated. It means I'm supposed to do something with that. I'm supposed to make effort to keep the unity. Do you know what that means? It means when James says something to me that I don't like, when he does something that makes me angry, when he goes in a direction I don't think he should go, I have to choose to say, James, I love you. I love you, brother. When he has crossed me and wronged me, James, I forgive you. I forgive you. I forgive you. Anybody reach 70 times seven yet? I forgive you. I forgive you. I forgive. I'm talking about stuff that the world doesn't understand, people. I'm talking about stuff where it's like, wait a second, they did what to you and your response was what? That's the type of stuff I'm talking about. I'm talking about supernatural things that we have to have a God who breathes stars to be involved in our lives to give us the ability and the confidence and the strength and the courage to do. Outside of him, I am nothing but a bag of bones and flesh. And I've got some real bad responses. Got some real bad responses. And so we are to be humble and gentle and bearing with one another in love. And this is what the scripture tells us to do, guys. Here's something. If you grab anything today, would you please grab this? This is something I want you to take home. Pack it up and take it home. You got it? Here we go. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. If we could just focus in on this for a day, man, things would change. Right. Well, I don't argue with anybody. I don't, I don't have quarrels with anybody. I just put my opinions on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> I 
don't have anything to do. Don't have anything to do with them. Well, what is a stupid and foolish argument? Anything that pulls you away from Christ? Anything where Christ is not the center? This is fun, yeah? I believe, uh, this, is not, this is not science, this is what Kevin believes, okay? Kevin believes that this is probably one of the top three reasons why people leave the church and want nothing to do with it. Because anybody who has come to me and had a real conversation about why they left a church, usually the, 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 the reason why qualifies in this. And they're hurt because of the way the argument goes. It usually starts with something real small. And it escalates to something really big because somebody made something big that's supposed to be small and somebody put attention on something that took attention off of Christ. Our focus is supposed to be on him. This is what Hebrews tells us. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Toward love and good deeds. When have you, when's the last time you spurred somebody on in love and good deeds? Think about it for a second. Just, just think about it. I know we're in that hour window of church, but I'm talking about on a Tuesday. Okay? On a Wednesday, on a Thursday, I spurred someone on. I spurred someone on with loving, toward love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. The, very, the biggest tool that the enemy will use is to isolate you, is to pull you away, is to say you're the only one. You're not worthy to be a part of them. Everything they're saying about you is so true, and it's, that's what you're thinking, but it's actually a lie. And so you isolate, and you pull yourself away, and you get out of community, and you pull yourself away from the church. Not the building, the people. And there you are all isolated. And guess what? You rob yourself of the ability to be built up, to be edified, to be encouraged, for somebody to speak truth. Somebody in here needs somebody to speak some truth to the lies you've been believing. There's truth to be spoken in your life because you've bought in to some lies encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. And boy, is he not going to come back and get us one day. It's going to be glorious. The church is the place where we magnify Christ. Can I say something? I'm going to say it anyway. What if you said no? (laughs) Oh, well, I have the microphone, okay? Just, Just because you have an opinion doesn't mean you're supposed to share it. Now, I was going to say that you shouldn't have opinions, but that's ridiculous because the people in this room are people and we have opinions. But boy, we have a responsibility to steward those things. Do you know that the great, if I look back on the greatest mistakes that I have made as a leader, it is because I operated and moved and made a change because somebody gave me their opinion. Opinions can be very dangerous things. And dare I say that our opinions a lot of times do have any room in the kingdom of God. If you've got an opinion about something, I have an idea, and I think it's a pretty good idea. Share your opinion with God. Share it with God. Tell him over and over again your opinion. And then shut your mouth and listen to what he says. (laughs) Okay? Fair? There is one church, 
And guys, we should be celebrating our oneness together. We are unique in that we have, there is one way to the Father and we are together in that. There is, there is oneness. And you know what? He, he, is, he describes the church in a certain way that is astonishing, fascinating to me. He says that the church is the bride of Christ. Can you meditate on that for a second? We in this, it's almost laughable. We in this room, are the bride of Christ. I would think that Christ would want somebody a little bit better than me. <laughs> We're the bride of Christ. We're the bride of Christ. And you, know, and you know why we get to be the bride of Christ? It's because of what he did. He sees us as completed and perfected. I remember the day I was standing right here and I watched Sherry come down the aisle it was a moment I will never forget in her radiant beauty and glory, un, unblemished, untouched. It was going to be the day that my life was going to change forever. We are the radiant bride of Christ. And if you know anything, if you're married in your room, you know that your spouse represents you. Are you with me? How Sherry acts in public represents me. How I act in public represents Sherry. We represent each other. And clearly, I got the better end of the deal. <laughs> but as the bride of Christ, how you represent yourself, you represent Christ. Here comes Jesus's bride to encounter that person that doesn't look like you, that doesn't sound like you that has gone down some roads that you haven't gone down. Here comes, here comes the bride of Christ to respond to the person who has wronged you. This is the bride of Christ. We represent Christ. We are the bride. It's a wonderful description. The church is the bride, is the bride of Christ. The other thing that this tells me, because we are the bride and because of what we've read here about how we're to treat one another, I have to say the church is not a business. The church is a family. The church is a family and it should operate as such. I want to tell you right now that I am not here to grow a great big church. I'm not here to grow a great big church. I'm sure there are some other people with bigger personalities that would do a far better job at that than I would. I'm not here to grow a big church, guys. This is what I'm, somebody asked me, are you content with the size of the church right now? And my response was, I'm content with the will of God. I'm content with the will of God. When Sherry and I had our third daughter, we realized that we were outgrowing the capacity that we had within our house and we had to make changes. And guys, if the Lord wills it for us to grow bigger, we will make the changes as they come. But this is not a let's build it and they will come mentality. This is a let's exalt Jesus and get out of the way mentality. Yeah. Jesus is our focus. He is the one that we look at. He is the supreme God, and he is the one that rules and reigns our lives, including this church. The reason I'm preaching from the floor today is because at Springhouse, we don't elevate leaders. We elevate Christ. And I want you to know that he is central and supreme to the things that we want to do. Now, do we miss it? We absolutely miss it because we are human and we are flawed. But when you miss it, 
There is a way to make it right. When we miss it, there is a pathway, a right pathway. This is what grace is all about. The ocean of grace that we have been given to course correct when we need to course correct is, is unexplainable, it's supernatural, it's extraordinary. And it's not just for our church at large. It's for your life individually. Because we all need course correction every now and then. Do we not? Do we not? And so everyone in this room has a part to play. And I don't want you to leave believing the lie that you are insignificant because here's the thing. In the kingdom, every part is of equal significance. Every single part is of equal significance. You have a part to play in the body of Christ. In my home, we have six people living. And you better bet that Sherry doesn't do all of the stuff in the house. We all have roles. Now, Nora is our youngest in the house. She is not going to be paying the bills anytime soon. That's not her responsibility because she's not mature yet to do that. But guess what? She knows how to pick up her clothes. She knows how to clean up the bathroom. She knows how to do some things to contribute to the house because we are a family. We are a family. And guess what, guys? Welcome to the family. Welcome to the family. One of the things that changed my life, and this seems so, so silly for me to say, but it, cha- it changed me. Pastor Wayne was talking about consecration back in the old ministry center. And I remember sitting there and he's talking about not walking past trash. If you see at the church, there's a trash can full and you walk past it. And his question was, whose responsibility is it to change out the trash? Oh, well, we've hired somebody for that. Can you imagine Sher- <laughs> Sherry saying to me, can you unload the dishwasher? Oh, we're going to hire somebody to do that. Have you lost your mind? (laughs) We have a responsibility to each other as a family, and we all have a part to play, and your part is not insignificant. It's, It's a significant part. Why are all of our parts equally significant? It's because we're all supposed to be doing it for the same reason, and that's him. Now, in Kevin's book, the real heroes of Springhouse are rocking babies in the nursery right now so that all of us can be in here sipping our lattes and listening to me. I'm serious. They are in there sacrificing their time to be. There are people in this body who have served faithfully, some of them for decades, some of them for decades. And I was, I almost had a list. I was going to bring some of the people's names up, but this is the reason why I'm not. Two reasons. One Half of you in this room wouldn't know the people I was was mentioning because they're never in the spotlight. And the second thing is, I don't want to pull an iota away from the treasure they're gaining in heaven for the things they're doing behind the scenes so I can praise them for two seconds on a Sunday morning to a bunch of people who don't know them. Everything that happens here, everything that happens here should be for him, not for us. Not for our achievement, not for our elevation, not so the church can grow. Everything should be centered on Jesus Christ. And every one of us has a part to play. Now, some of the parts in the body are leaders. Church leaders' job, their jobs are to equip you for acts of service. The job of, of church leadership is to, is to equip you for acts of service. Let me tell you what a church leader is not supposed to do. A church leader is not supposed to manipulate you into becoming a doing machine. Church is not about do, 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 do. And in fact, might I suggest that there may be people even in Springhouse who are doing six, seven, eight, nine things 
and you are robbing other people of putting their yes on the table because you're in control of it. Anytime we are in control of something, it is about us. It's not about anything else. We have parts to play. Christ invites us to be. You remember the story of Mary and Martha? Jesus arrives on the scene and Martha is just up going and going and going and Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus and she chooses the better thing. Guys, we all have to have the capacity to sit at Jesus' feet. Church leaders are not there to manipulate you into doing, doing, doing. And let me liberate you. I'm probably going to say something that you won't hear many pastors say in America. You have my permission to say no. You have my permission to say no to the things that God hasn't told you to pick up. You have my permission to say no. Now, here's the real issue, I think. The real issue is we've said yes to a bunch of things we weren't supposed to, so we have no capacity to say yes to the things God's telling us to. But that's a sermon a few weeks down the road. Come back for that one, okay? But no is an appropriate answer. And and why do I know that? Because I'm guilty of saying yes to everything in the past. There's people in my life that have trained me and taught me and loved me enough, equipped me to say no to the things I'm supposed to say no to and yes to the things I'm supposed to say yes to. And let me tell you, I'm free. (laughs) It's so liberating to be, be operating in your yes fully the way you're supposed to. And it's so liberating to be operating in your no when you're supposed to be doing that. We are being equipped. Church leaders will equip us for two things, so that two things happen. We all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of God, and we all become spiritually mature. Unity. Is unity important? You better betcha. Psalm 133 commands a blessing. How good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters dwell together in unity. Does that mean that we have to agree with each other? We have a great leadership team here, and we just agree with each other all the time. We just, everything, everybody's on the same page. We all have the same opinion. You, you've lost your mind. We are a bunch of people getting in a room trying to really hear from the Lord. But let me tell you something. This is a commitment that's been, it's actually, been, I would say it's a nonverbal commitment that was a verbal commitment at one point, but it's kind of just continued The uh, tidal waves continue. We don't leave the room unless we're in unity. We'll be here all night. However long it takes, we we must achieve unity. We want the blessing of God. We want the blessing of God. Spiritual maturity is a necessity. And we all must become spiritual mature. And, And here's the thing. Spiritual maturity is fueled by belief and measured by response. It's fueled by belief and measured by response. There's a story by, uh, about a man named Charles Bolden. He had a tightrope, and he would walk across the, the uh, Niagara Falls. He walked almost 300 times across Niagara Falls. Now, I can imagine the first few times was extremely terrible. I, I would think he was terrified. But once you start doing 5, 10, 15, 20, 25 times, it starts, you start to get used to it. And he started to do crazy things. Like he started to do somersaults and, and, and cartwheels on this tightrope. And he started to carry dishwashers across. It's crazy, man. He was flipping eggs one time. I mean, just, just doing everything you could pull out because his confidence grew every time he did it, that he knew that he could do it. And here's the thing. On one time, people would travel all around the country to come see this guy. And so he, he ended one time at one side of the rope and he looks at the crowd and he says, who believes that I can make it all the way back? carrying a wheelbarrow. 
And everyone went, yes, we believe you could do that. He said, who wants to get in it? <laughs> Everybody's hands went down. Here's the point. You can say you believe it all you want, but if your responses don't line up with what you say you believe, it's meaningless, it's nothing. Jesus, I believe in everything you say in your word, but I treat my brothers and sisters horribly. Doesn't line up. It means you're not spiritually mature. And oh, that we would be a church not filled with infants and young people, young spiritual people, but mature people that God could use to advance his kingdom. Let's get off the milk. Let's start eating some stuff. Let's get off the milk and start eating some solid things. And so spiritual maturity is fueled by belief and measured by our responses. When you decide to say, when you decide to say, I'm just set in my ways, I'm just set in my ways, what you are also saying is, I don't really love you enough to change. Everyone in here, if you're still breathing, you are still supposed to grow you're still supposed to change because ain't none of us in here like Jesus yet. So we got some work to do, but here's the work. The work is just be. <laughs> that is the craziest thing. It's just be and allow him to minister to you. Allow yourself to be built up. Allow yourself to actually lean in and trust that you can have the supernatural power and confidence it takes to forgive the unforgivable, to love the unlovable. If we truly believe what we say we believe, then we should have no problem forgiving the unforgivable, reaching the unreachable, approaching the unapproachable, loving the, un, uh, uh, the unlovable, and touching the untouchable. We, we should have no problem with these things, but here's where the crux happens. This is where the divide happens, friends. We forget all so often that this was us. This was us. And so when we begin to think this isn't us anymore, this isn't me anymore, then we begin to make it an us and them thing and we begin to elevate ourselves. Guys, I need the same Jesus as anybody that falls in these categories. I need the same Jesus as anybody in these categories. This is me and this is you. Uh, a few years ago, Alan shared a, a story. Pastor Alan shared a story where he was handing out communion. And it was in the middle of communion. He walked up this, uh, one of these aisles here and he got to the steps and he just face planted, just, just fell. And immediately people got up in the middle of the thing and, and rushed over and helped pick up the, the juice. And the, this is when we had the juice and the stuff in the trays and helped clean up all that and helped him get up. Do you know that none of us ever planned the fall? But the church should be the first to run and rescue when the fall happens. But so many of us are so busy doing this. Ha, look, Kurt, Alan fell over there. He fell over James. Look, he fell. Look, did you see Alan get hurt over there? Let me tell you about Alan. Oh my goodness, he is so clumsy. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I, and we just talk and we look on the sidelines and we expect the person who fell to get up on their own. 
But when we are a community of believers, we don't get up on our own. We need people to lift us up. We need people to lift our arms up. We need people to say, you've got this because Christ is in you and he's greater than anything in this world. Where else is that message going to come from? You might go to some other church and find fancier stuff or a better program or whatever. But at every single church, you will always find people and people need Jesus. Every single time you will find people and you will realize that people need Jesus. I want to read this. The worship team can come back. I want to read this from the Jesus style by a guy named Gail Irwin. Boy, this book is just uh, incredible. It is striking how we, because of cultural influences, are trained to hide our feelings. Sadly, some Christian groups are taught that we must smile through the deepest of hurts. They even deny that these hurts exist, thinking that Christians must always and only be positive, joyful, and smiling. How often couples who are going through difficulties journey to church unsmiling, not speaking until just outside the door when they put on the smile. When the official greeter asks how they're doing, the standard smile response is just fine, thank you. If there's one place where we ought to be able to come with our sin and our feelings exposed to help and find healing, it should be the church. But more and more, it has become the place, the one place where we must be the most careful to hide our true feelings and instead support the appearance of a consistent, gleeful victory. The body of Christ, especially in well-functioning, small, intimate groups, is the most healing body in the world, yet we do not act accordingly. We wouldn't think of relating, a, uh, relating to a medical doctor with the same reserve as we have in healing of, body, of the body of Christ. Will we say to a doctor, I have this unspoken illness? Of course not. But we often use the term unspoken request in sharing our needs with the body. Will we try to deceive a doctor into thinking our hurt is non-existent or in a different place than it actually is? Of course not. Would we say, I am here for a friend, examine me and diagnose them? Of course not. Yet we will treat the church with such distrust and fear. We choose to hide. Somehow we have decided that the church is supposed to be the company of the perfect rather than the company of the forgiven. This attempt to keep up appearances has brought the church to a crisis of honesty in which reality has fallen by the wayside as we attempt to project for all to see a facsimile of the idea. Meanwhile, we desperately hope that the truth is not discovered, that the facade is accepted. In the name of Christ, we cover our own sins and failings and crucify those in our ranks who would dare cry foul and bring our mistakes out into the light. This should be the most authentic, real place in your life because of the authentic, genuine, real connections you have with the people in this room. Jesus being the center of it all. I don't care what anybody tells you about their opinions or ideas of the church. The church is God's idea, not ours. The church is God's idea, not ours. Here at Springhouse, I look for us to be three things specifically. I want us to be a church that loves big, lives truth, 
and operates as a healthy family. But here's the thing, guys. We can't do any of these things without Jesus Christ because all of these things are supernatural in nature to do them right. In order for me to love big, I have to love big unconditionally. That's hard because when I look at people, I've got conditions to my love. But I'm talking about that person that doesn't look like me. I'm talking about that person who lives a different lifestyle than I live. I'm called to love them big. Why am I called to love them big? Because when I love them big, I can show them Jesus. And guess who changes people's lives? It's not me. It's Jesus Christ. He's the one who changes lives. I want us to be a church who loves big. I want to be a church who lives truth. I want us to live truth. Priscilla Shire said it best in a conference. She said, we live in a day and age where you've got your truth and I've got my truth and everybody else, they've got a little bit of truth, truth. But the truth of the matter is, is that there's only one truth and that truth is a person. It's not an idea. He's a person. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. I want us to be a church who lives out truth. I don't want to learn this word like the Pharisees. I don't want to learn it back and front and study it and knowledge, build my knowledge and all of these things and learn all of this and not recognize Jesus when he's in front of my face. Part of living out truth, the live part, living out truth is applying what I've read. And here's the thing, guys, I'm so messed up that I don't have a whole lot of capacity to come and say, Kurt, let me find what you're doing wrong. James, let me, tell, let me find what you're doing wrong. I've got enough in here that I need to do. And guess what? If I will model it in my own life by living out myself, gee, the Holy Spirit will do the rest for everybody else. And I want to operate as a healthy family. But here's the facade here. Here's, here's, here's what we, when we think of a healthy family, we think, ah, we're all happy. <laughs> Everybody's so great. There's no arguments. There's no conflict. There's nothing going on. That's not true. The difference in a healthy family when it comes to the kingdom is when things happen, we resolve it in a biblical way. Whenever, when confrontation comes or conflict comes or we get cross with each other, we do it in a way that is a kingdom way, not a worldly way. And we get to the root of it. Healthy families communicate. Guys, there's gonna be we're people. We're gonna rub each other the wrong way. But there's a way to handle that when that happens. And guess what? If you come back next week, we're gonna learn a little bit about how to do that the right way. I want to be a church who loves big, lives truth, and is a healthy family. Guys, Jesus Christ needs to be the center of everything in our lives. Who is your why? Who is your why? Would you stand with me this morning? We believe that the God of all the universe is here. Just like Pastor Ronnie said, literally here. And I believe that there would be people in the room. Maybe you came with some needs today. I want to give you an opportunity to connect with somebody and to pray to this God who loves you. Breathe stars. This is, a, this is our family. This is a place you can bring. So if you're going to pray, would you come forward? And guys, might I dare just put out there for the Holy Spirit to do something with. If you're here and you're like, wow, I, I've gotten my why crossed. <laughs> I've, I've, uh, I've, I, I, Lord, you have not been the priority. Come and get that straightened out. Let's, let's get him in the right place, in the center place of our lives so that we can live in peace. Yeah? Let's worship together for just a few moments.